I used to be a secondary school teacher. And when I was a teacher, there were two types of students that I taught. Those who asked for help and those who didn't ask for help. Now, I could caricature these two groups too unfairly because there were certainly those who didn't ask for help, who were good students, uh, who already knew what they were doing and just wanted to get on with it. That was certainly the case. On the other end, there would be some who asked for help uh, who really should have been listening to the instructions in the first place and just always ask because they couldn't be bothered to think and they weren't, uh, weren't the model of students, let's say. However, as a general rule, my best students were always those who asked for help. They'd come and put their hand up if they were stuck with something. They'd seek out my guidance or my advice when they got confused. Sometimes, even while I was on my lunch break, they'd knock on the door of my room to try to get extra help as well. Askers, seekers and knockers were the model students in Mr. Mellor's classroom. And do you know what? Askers, seekers and knockers are the model citizens in God's kingdom. You see, when we hear a passage like the one that has just been read to us, um, we often think of it as a kind of uh, instructions on a method to get stuff. Basically, we think, well, when I want something off God, I'll pray, I'll ask. But then we look back at the passage and say, oh, actually, it says keep on asking. So I won't just ask. I'll keep on asking. I'll ask each day and I'll like be bashing on God's door to pester him until he gives us uh, what we ask for. Because it says keep on asking and you will receive what you've been asking for. But I don't think that's the main thrust of this teaching uh, of Jesus that we've just heard. In this passage, Jesus is not just laying out the how-tos of prayer, I don't think. No, he's outlining the basic posture that he expects from citizens in God's kingdom. Today, as we look at it, whether you are at the moment an asker, a seeker or a knocker, I would like to encourage you to be more of that and to take up that posture more. And hopefully, as we go on, I can explain a little bit practically what that might look like. First of all, I just want to ask a general question of what you've just heard. Is Jesus just laying out here a very general principle for everyone? Uh, someone might say, look, um, the people who, who knock, if you knock on doors, they'll be open to you. Uh, or, oh, well, if you don't ask, you don't get, do you? People use phrases like that completely divorced from uh, Christian teaching or, or anything like that just to mean, look, uh, you, you need to be assertive. You need to push yourself forward. You need to ask. You need to kind of push, push on doors and stuff like that. Now, I don't think you'll need me to say that probably uh, isn't plumbing the depths of what Jesus is intending to say here. But you can understand why people would uh, take this passage like that, because let's be clear, Jesus is quite vague in verse 11 um, he leaves out some very important information that you would expect him to give us ask seek knock the two obvious questions would be who do we ask and when we find out who we ask what do we ask for now as i'll explain in a few minutes i think jesus had a very clear idea of who we should ask and what we should ask for actually but let's just rest for a second on this idea of taking this in the general sense, because I still think before we even move there, you can find great encouragement, even from using Jesus' teaching in a general sense, as many would do in our society. As always, to understand uh, a teaching in the Bible, we need to look at the context. And uh, this passage, this teaching we've heard today, is very much set into this uh, body of teaching that we've been looking at as a church uh, for this whole time over lockdown, the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is trying to do something very specific. 
he is introducing his listeners to God's kingdom. And by God's kingdom, he means he's introducing them to an entirely new way to live. We've seen this all the way through, haven't we? In this kingdom, it's not just that we don't kill people and we don't commit adultery. No, we don't hate people either. And we don't treat them as sexual objects. In this kingdom, we follow through on our promises. We work on our marriages. We let our yes be yes and our no be no. In this kingdom, we don't take revenge. No, not at all. We love our enemies. In this kingdom, we don't do things for show. We don't care about status or image. It's a different way of living. But also, it's not just a different way of living. There is a sense in which we experience life differently in this kingdom as well. It, it, it feels different. It's like it's a kingdom with a whole different climate. So in this kingdom, we don't need to worry. Out in the world, yes, people worry. Worrying is very, very prevalent. And it can be in the church too. But Jesus is saying it doesn't need to be in the kingdom of God. It, you don't need to worry. Out in the world, people act as judges of one another, like they're the ones who decide what's right and wrong. Not in the kingdom. No, it's a different feel to the kingdom. We don't need to act like we're the judges of right and wrong. We don't need to look down on other people like that. And as today's passage tells us, in the kingdom, we believe that askers receive, seekers find, and knockers get doors opened. You might say, well, you just said a minute ago, everyone uses this phrase. Everyone assumes those things anyway. I think we often speak like that. I think it's the, a lot of the, the talk of positive thinking would be along those lines. But deep down, for most of us, I don't think we're quite sure that the world operates like that. All of us at one time or another, maybe all the time, are deeply afraid that we could ask away and we could never get a response. That we could seek and we could chase and we could pursue, but we could actually never get hold of what we're looking for. We could knock every door available and ultimately opportunity would not arise. And that can be in individual situations, obviously. But I'm talking about it in more of an ultimate, a cosmic sense. We all fear that ultimately what is out there, what is in charge of all this, just isn't going to answer us. They just don't care. This is a view that's been expressed quite clearly by a number of atheist uh, thinkers over the last 20 years or so. Take this quote from the uh, renowned biologist Richard Dawkins from his book River Out of Eden. Dawkins writes this. The universe that we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, Nothing but pitiless indifference. As a Christian, I, I don't agree with Richard Dawkins, um, but I do appreciate his consistency and his honesty in this quote, because I think that he's articulating the only possible reality if there is no God. Ultimately, the bottom line, if there's no God, is that, well, nobody cares. We can scream all we want into the void, but nobody is going to reply because nobody is listening. Along the way, yeah, we could find some helpful people who will understand us and answer our cries for help in individual situations. But in the end, askers don't receive, seekers don't find, knockers don't get the door opened. Because in the end, as Dawkins so ruthlessly puts it, there's nothing but pitiless indifference. 
If you're listening today and you're trying to make your way through life in the shadow of that sort of reality, Jesus would want to present you with an alternative today. He'd say, if you come into my kingdom, if you follow me, there is a different reality. For those who come into Jesus' kingdom, they find out the reality is not at its core pitilessly indifferent. Reality is good. Reality hears your questions and your cries and reality is eager to answer you because reality is defined by the ruler of this kingdom, by the king, by God himself. So therefore, even as a general principle, I think there's something very, very profound and heartening about what Jesus is uh, laying out here. But as you've probably seen, it's only heartening uh, because we've started to stumble upon the specifics, particularly the specific of who we're meant to ask, seek and knock for. So who do we ask? Well, as I just said, we ask God. And although Jesus uh, didn't lay this out in verse 11, as he goes on into verse 12, he, he doesn't keep us waiting. Does he? he tells us this. He uses this analogy of human parents. And he says, look, human parents respond kindly to their, their kids' questions and requests. And so he says, how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who ask him? His heaven, your heavenly father, that's how Jesus refers to God. God is the king. God is the one who rules in the kingdom, but he's not some distant dictator. For the citizens of the kingdom, he's our father. It's an amazing thing. So then, is he saying that for citizens of the kingdom, for children of the father, we can literally come to him for anything we want and just badger him for it. And if we ask enough, he will definitely give us that thing. What do you reckon? I, I'm not so sure. I don't think that's what he's saying here. Because if you read between the lines of these verses, I think Jesus is pointing us towards, at the very least, the most appropriate thing he thinks that we should keep on asking, seeking and knocking for. So what should we seek? Let's look at that question, shall we? Now, we know that the content of what we seek is important in, in Jesus' teaching here because already in the last chapter of Matthew uh, of Matthew 6, uh, is what I'm referring to, um, he told us, I think, two things that we should not keep on <laughs> asking, seeking and knocking for. He's already told us that. The first thing we, we shouldn't keep on seeking him for is earthly treasures, I think. Chapter 6, verse 19, Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. It'd be very strange if Jesus said, don't store up for yourself treasures on earth. Then we go, but we really want treasures on earth. We really want. I mean, it's like, all right, then you can store them up after all. That would be weird. Um, I don't think then this is an encouragement to pester God incessantly for health, wealth and prosperity. I don't think that's what Jesus uh, primarily has in mind. God, I really want this new car. I really want this job promotion, Lord. I, I'd really love to be a YouTube influencer one day. And I'm just going to keep on asking you until you give in and give it to me, because that's what it says in this passage. No, I don't think that's what he means. Now, with that said, I want to be clear. Uh, we can and should ask God for blessing, I think. God loves to bless his children. And even if as his children, we have a slightly skewed view of blessing, which we will, because we're not omniscient, we don't know everything, God knows our heart anyway, so we might as well put that out towards him. And maybe when it comes out our mouth, we realize how silly that stuff is. But you know what? Maybe God will graciously give us those things. I've definitely experienced stuff like that in my life of God kindly giving us things that in the grand scheme of things just don't really matter. But we kind of wanted them at that point. So I think I see a shadow of this in, in my parenting. 
uh, with my children. Uh, me and my wife, Gemma, we have three kids. Uh, our youngest is Rex, he's six. And let's imagine Rex came to me, as he would sometimes do, and says, Dad, I'd really like this toy for my birthday. And he'd pass me the Smiths uh, catalogue, which seems to be uh, the new version of the Argos catalogue that I had when I was little. And he'd say, look, this one here, I want this, this toy. And I'd look at it, i think, I know you, Rex, and I know that toy, and I know this toy isn't very good. And probably you'll play for this toy for about five minutes and then it will never be seen or heard of again. However, even though I might think that on occasion, there are occasions, even when I think that, that I'll still get him that toy for his birthday. Why? Well, just because I want to show him I love him. I care for him. He's, he's my son. He's dear to me. And what he's concerned about, I'm concerned about too. But if Rex decided every single day to come to me and pester me with the Smiths catalogue, pointing, that toy, Dad, I want that toy, I'd find that really, really annoying. That would be my main, main problem there. But poor Rex would have another problem in that it would make me less likely <laughs> to get it for him. And the simple reason would be that I think maybe actually you're getting too obsessed with that rubbish little thing and getting it for you might actually be unhelpful in this situation. I think it's kind of similar with God. I think we can come and share our heart with him. But if we find ourselves keeping on asking, seeking and knocking for riches, fame and power, I suggest we just need to take a step back <laughs> and rethink our priorities somewhat. I don't think that's what Jesus is encouraging in this passage. But the second thing as well, I don't think the main application of this teaching is for us to keep on asking incessantly about our basic needs either. This is a little different because our basic needs are not like a rubbish little toy. That's that's obviously clear. They're, they're very important. The clue is in the name. There are needs. We need them. They are important to us and they are important to God. On top of that, Jesus explicitly tells us to ask him to provide these things. Bang in the middle of the Lord's Prayer uh, in Matthew 6. It says, doesn't it? Give us today our daily bread. But with that said, I really don't think that's what Jesus has in mind here when he says, keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. And I think this, again, because of something Jesus has already just said. In chapter 6, verse 31, uh, Jesus said this, as it's translated in the ESV. Therefore, do not be anxious saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Just to make it clear, the Gentiles is meant as a diss here. <laughs> They're not a group to follow. They are people who don't know God. They're people who have not entered the kingdom. The Gentiles are the ones who keep on seeking for the necessities of life. They're the ones who obsess over these things and worry over them. For those in the kingdom, yes, we still need those things. And we're to humbly come before God, dependent on his provision in those areas. Give us today our daily bread. But it'd be hard to imagine that Jesus would then say and keep on asking and keep on seeking and keep on knocking primarily for those things. He wants us to come confidently, knowing that our father loves us, knows our needs. He already knows before we say them and will provide for us. So what does he want us to seek then? Well, while it might seem to us confusing what Jesus is saying here, I think for those who are listening to him on that mountain, they would have known their Old Testament, and I think, therefore, they would have known where Jesus was going here. The concept of seeking God is all over the Bible. Sometimes people in the Old Testament uh, seek God for deliverance. 
Sometimes they seek him for blessing. But often the seeking is much more direct. The saints in the scriptures are known as those who seek God, full stop. What do you mean, Johnny? Uh, seek God for what? What are they looking to find? Well, they seek God for God. They're seeking God to find God. He's the one they ask and the one they're asking for. Now think about it. I said earlier that at times out of my love for my children, I might give them things that they really wanted that probably weren't the best things, but I give them to them to show I care for them. But as parents, myself and my wife, Jem, uh, we would aim slightly higher for what we want to uh, give our children than just another piece of plastic tat. OK, we, we put the bar slightly higher than that, I think. I hope anyway. We want to give them the best that we can. Things that will last. Good things. It's the same with our Heavenly Father. Remember what it said. How much more will your Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Now for us, we might have some idea of what good things might mean. A good education, things that might encourage creative interest that will serve our kids for the rest of their life, a decent bike, a trampoline in the garden, a nice comfy pair of slippers. I don't, I don't know, they're the finer things of life. But our resources, and as you've just seen probably, our imaginations are limited. Let's think of this question. What would a perfectly loving, perfectly wise parent who had infinite resources what would they give their children what good things would God give us well, what's the best he could give us surely it's himself isn't it listen to what the psalmist says in Psalm 34 verse 10 he says the young lions suffer want and hunger but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing it's not saying uh, if you seek God for all the good things you want, you'll get them all. It's saying if you seek God for himself, you'll get him. And then you won't need the other things because he's the best thing there is. Yes, to conclude then, this passage surely is encouraging to a degree us to be disciplined and persevering in our prayer lives. I think that must be there somewhere. But I'd argue it's about so much more than that. This is about the fundamental attitude of our hearts. Jesus offered to his followers a life where there is hope that is that our deepest cries will be answered because there is a God who hears and a God who cares about us. And for his children, it's not just that he'll give us the shiny toys that catch our eye, although sometimes he does. No, he loves us so much that he gives us the best thing there is himself. If we'll keep on seeking after him. To get it, we have to be, as I said, like my model students at school. We need to be those who ask for help. But unlike my students, we need to understand that the best help we can receive is not just what we can get from the one we're asking, but it's actually from deep friendship with the one we're asking, even God's presence. So my encouragement would be, let's train ourselves to seek God. The Bible tells us that, that God is declared by the heavens themselves. The heavens declare the glory of God. Human beings, we are made in the image of God. Maybe the image is fractured and broken a little through our sin. But no, you know what? You can still see something of God in others. 
We should be seeking him all the time. We should be looking back at what's happened and thanking him for everything, saying, you were in that, God. You were in that. Thank you for that thing that happened at work. Thank you for that friendship. Thank you for that conversation, because we see him in it. When we're walking through the park, we look for God. How can I see you in that cloud formation, in that tree, in that silly dog that's just walked in my way? When you're at work, look out for his reflection in your work colleagues. Learn to sense the wisdom in the systems that operate in your work, even though they're not perfect, I would imagine. When you're watching telly or reading a book or listening to music, ask the question, can I find God here? How can I learn about God's world? Can I hear echoes of his creativity? In amongst the mess and the brokenness, are there sprinklings of his joy and his hope and his justice? And what we're doing is we're training ourselves each day, each hour, each moment to keep on asking for his presence, to know him more with us. We do it as those who recognise we deeply, desperately need him. But as we keep getting glimpses of him, we notice something else. It's not just that we need him, but we love him. Listen to how another psalmist rephrases Jesus' seek first God's kingdom that we saw in Matthew 6:33. He rephrases it like hundreds of years before, but Psalm 27 verse four. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that will I seek after. Do you see, he's keeping on asking and seeking for this thing more than anything else. What is it? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. Can I ask you, what are you seeking first at the moment? What one thing have you asked of the Lord at the moment? And what one thing do you keep on asking? I know that for many of us, those things won't be for shiny toys, that's for sure. This is the time we have very important requests to put before God for our health, for our healing, for protection, for deliverance, for ourselves, for our family, for our friends. Please understand your heavenly father deeply cares about those things. And so often he comes and answers those prayers. And it's an amazing thing when he does. But in his love, he has something better than those things. He wants to let you into his house. For those who come into his house, he wants to let you deeper into his house. He wants to show you his beauty. For those who've had a glimpse of his back, he wants to show you his face. And actually, he doesn't just want to. He promises that if we become askers, seekers and knockers, he will give us himself. And what's more, just as I close, there's an incredible realisation that I think we find here, that everything actually is slightly flipped over as we seek and we ask and we knock. Because we find this isn't just one-sided, but he is chasing after us with even more intensity than we're chasing after him. As we keep on asking for him, we suddenly realise he's been doing the same for us. And as we keep on seeking for him, we find that he's been seeking for us, like that lost sheep that wandered off and the shepherd left the 99 to find him. He's seeking us. As we keep on knocking and saying, God, where are you? God, where are you? We stop and we hear there's a noise from the other side of the door of knocking coming the other way. And we hear Jesus's voice like John did in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20. And he's saying this, behold, I stand at the door and knock. Jesus is saying this. He's knocking. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him 
and he with me. The reality is we're not by nature's by nature askers, seekers and knockers. We're really not. But he runs to us. He seeks us and he puts a hunger in our hearts. So just as I close, I want to leave a moment or two for us to come before him firstly, humbly and say, if there's one tiny shred in you that says, I'd like to be a seeker of God, or maybe I'd like to be more of a seeker of God than I am. I just want to leave a space. and I'll encourage you to talk to him. Why don't you just come to him and ask him, help me to seek you, Lord. And now we've asked, the obvious thing would be, I'm going to leave another space. I'd encourage you now to seek him. Please don't take from what I've heard that you don't seek him for things that are on your heart. No, please do. But as you do that, ask for him as well seek him for some of you maybe you're not uh, familiar with this i just encourage you to say god if you're there show yourself to me that's a really good prayer lord jesus thank you that you stand at that door and knock i ask you for all of us listening that we would be wise enough to open the door and let you in and then spend the rest of our lives keeping on asking, keeping on seeking and keeping on knocking to know more and more and more of you. We have tasted and we've seen that you're good. We hunger for you more. Put the hunger deeper in our hearts, Lord. We pray. Amen.